Since humanity learned how to write thousands of years ago, we have been writing letters. We write for thousands of reasons, to encourage, to share, to tell stories, and let others know that we care. The way we communicate with each other has changed, but our reasons remain the same. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote a letter, and then he wrote another, and another, and another. Paul's letters changed the world. They still do, and God is still speaking to us through each and every one of these letters. Well, good morning. Welcome those of you who are joining us uh, off-site campus, chapel warehouse, online, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that uh, you're along with us today. I see smatterings of orange. A little bit of red, a little Georgia, a little Georgia in the house. Yeah, the question of the day is, will it be Alabama or Ohio State? We'll find out soon. I just want you to know I'm proud. I'm a Clemson fan. Now, some of you, well, yeah, come on. Let me tell you what the problem is. A lot of you say, no, you're a Gamecock fan. Yes, I am, but I'm a mature man. And let me tell you what the definition of maturity is. It's being able to hold two competing thoughts in your mind and not get freaked out about it. Immature people, listen to me, I'm preaching already. Immature, immature people love one and hate the other. Mature people love one and like the other. And so, there you go. That was good. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have never played hide-and-go-seek? Anybody ever played? Yeah, that's a game we all play. We all do. Had the kids over for Thanksgiving. It was a great Thanksgiving. We actually had two of our families, eight of our grandkids were gone for Thanksgiving, so we only had 24 people. It felt like nobody was there. It felt like it's an empty house, Deb. What are we gonna do? Literally, 24 people. And so, um, so sometime during the day, they do what they always do, they play hide-and-go-seek, you know? And it was kind of a rainy day outside, so everybody's inside. You can imagine what that's like, and you hear these little feet running everywhere, and then one of them's lost. Hey, yeah, we can't find that one, we can't find that one. Now, when the game is over, everybody's found except for one or two, what is the catchphrase that frees everybody? Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. How many of you know what that, how many of you ever said that? You know, you know what that is, okay. How many of you, you have no clue, that's, is he speaking in tongues, Margaret? What's going on up there? Huh? That's come in, come in wherever you are. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. And what ollie, ollie, oxen free says that it indicates that players who are hiding come, can come out in the open without losing the game. So I want to declare ollie, ollie, oxen free on the year in the word, okay? Now, the year in the word. Remember, we started the, one year ago. We said, we're going to study the word the whole year. We're going to read it together. We're going to read all the way through the Bible. We're going to do a reading. We put it on the Seacoast app. If you don't have the Seacoast app, you need to have the Seacoast app. And, and every day we're going to read. And then on the weekend, we're going to preach from whatever it is that we did. It's been a great year. And some of you did it. You started strong. You have gone through. You've read the entire Bible. Some of you, you do it all the time. Some of you, it's the first time in your life. Hidden nuggets have come out. And it's awesome, and I want to give you a spiritual high five wherever you are. It's my wife, most consistent person I've ever met in my life. 
says she's going to do something, she's going to do it. Others of us <laughs> started strong. It's January. Yay, let's do this. What a great idea. Until Leviticus buried us. <laughs> we said, I surrender. <laughs> and now... And now you won't even look a pastor in the eye. You know, it's like this. Hey, how you doing? Don't ask me about you in the word. Don't ask. Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. You can come out of hiding. Okay. Here's what I want to do. Let's finish strong together. Okay. We've got one, one month. One month. Month of December. Get back in it. Just start right now. And if you're brand new, start right now. Just go to the Seacoast app, the reading section. Let's read together. Maybe for you, that looks like just reading, just not the whole Old, Te Old Testament, New Testament you know, Proverbs and whatever. Maybe it's just one of those sections. But here's what we're doing, is we decided to end this year with a Christmas series that's unusual that follows our reading. And so we're calling it Letters because every week there's a different letter from uh, the Apostle Paul. How many of you ever got a Christmas letter? You know what they're like. People tell you what's going on and all this kind of stuff. Well, these aren't Christmas letters, but we're gonna find Christmas principles in them. Does that make sense? And so this past week was Galatians. That's what I'm going to talk about today. And the next week is Ephesians. What a great book. Ephesians is great. The next week is Philippians. My favorite uh, book in the entire Bible is Philippians. If, you, if you're discouraged or down at all, you can't read Philippians and stay that way. And then there's Colossians, and we'll end up with the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 and 2. So Galatians today, letter of uh, Paul to the Galatians. Who were the Galatians? How many of you are Irish? Have any Irish in here, Scottish, Irish, any, any at all? Okay. Um, they're Celtics. Galatians were Celtics. They lived in Central Europe, and they kind of migrated down into um, what is now Turkey. It's called Galatia back then. And that all happened. Uh, how many of you have a, like an analog Bible? Anybody have an analog Bible? And like the Old Testament, and then you got a white page, and then you got the New Testament, Right? Does anybody know how long that white page is? It's 400 years. There's 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and in that white page is when the Celtics moved, the Galatians moved into that area. So it happened between the Old Testament and New Testament. And they are Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Somebody's not Jew. Everybody else is Jews. In the New Testament, they're all Jews. Jesus is Jewish. All his disciples are Jewish. Book of Acts, the New Testament church, it's all Jewish. And then all of a sudden, Paul starts preaching to the Galatians. The Galatians come to Christ, and they're Gentiles. And so now we have a problem because the Jews in Jerusalem are saying, in order to be Christian, you've got to be Jew first. You've got to be a Jewish proselyte. You've got to follow Jewish customs, and you've got to be circumcised. Now, uh, requiring adult male circumcision will kill any revival that goes on anywhere. I mean, people, I don't want to get saved. No, 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 I don't want to get saved. And so it's a big deal. And so the whole book of Galatians is about that issue. If you had problems understanding, how does that apply? Well, it, that's what it is. It's saying, Paul is saying basically you don't have to be Jewish in order to be Christian. That's the first four chapters of Galatians. Now, chapter five and six starts to get into some real practical stuff, and what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at Galatians chapter six and verses one through 10, and all we're gonna do is we're gonna just do a Bible study, hardcore Bible study today, okay? And when I was looking at it, I read the NIV version, you know, I read all kind of different versions, but that's the one kind of my go-to, and the NIV 
uh, always has heading titles. If you've got an NIV Bible and you're at Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10, it has a heading title, and that title looks like this, Doing Good to All. That's what it says in there. And so I thought, you know what? If at the end of the Christmas season, we could sit down and say, you know, I did good to everybody. How do you think that would be a pretty good Christmas? Pretty good Christmas. So that's what we're gonna do. I wanna talk about his letter to us in a Christmas context. It wasn't written in a Christmas context. In fact, it was written to a Galatian church, which was actually a church that acted like Christmas never happened, like Jesus didn't come. Well, we're going to talk about this in a Christmas context. I wanna give you three things, how to treat others, yourself, and the world in general, three things you can do from Galatians 6, verses one through 10, to do good to everybody. Doing good to all this Christmas. The first one is this. One has to do with your hands, your head, and your heart, okay? The hands is, this Christmas, I'm gonna give somebody a hand up. I'm gonna give somebody a hand up. Here's the verse. Galatians 6.1. How about we read this out loud? Can we do that? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love, okay. So here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, would you agree with me that there are a lot of people these days that have been caught in a sin. <laughs> Let me give you some names. Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, Harvey Weinstein, and the list goes, there, there's one website that keeps a list of all, politicians and um, actors and producers and Everyday businessmen, and every day it's something new. My wife turned me the other day and said, it's not a good time to be a man. <laughs> and by the way, do you have any stories you need to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people who are caught in sin. Isn't it amazing how a book written 2,000 years ago applies to today, practical to today? Now, let me tell you what I think about this whole thing. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I think it is a good thing. Let me tell you why. Because righteousness is being exalted. Righteousness is being exalted, even if it's not by the church. Watch this. Watch this. Whoa. And this. Here we go. Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness does what? It exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In other words, hopefully as a result of all of this, women will feel like it's safe in the, in the marketplace. Would you agree with that? And it's been a long time coming. And it's a good thing. When righteousness is exalted, when righteousness exalts, it exalts a nation. Or look at this. Godliness makes a nation great. You want to make America great again? It's godliness. Right there it is. Godliness. Because when people are godly, they make the right choices, they do the right things at the right times. Godliness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. 
So I would say this is a good thing. We are living in a great time in history. Let righteousness have its work. Now, what's interesting about the scripture that we're studying today is that it says if, if a brother is caught in sin, which we're, we're seeing that all over the place, it doesn't say make fun of them, <laughs> uh, rejoice in that. No, it says give them a hand up. It says, you who are spiritual need to restore with a sense of humility, restore those who are caught in sin. Paul says, by the way, the best thing you could do this Christmas might be to give a hand up to somebody who's caught in sin. There's a question that's been asked to me a couple, three times. One of them, specific, one of them happened on Saturday night, this question, or a Friday night at our big gathering here with the oyster roast. But uh, somebody asked me not recently, he said, what's the best thing going on in the kingdom? What's the best thing that you've been a part of in the last five years? And I get to be a part of a lot of really cool stuff. So I thought about that. And yet there's a lot of good choices. I mean, one of the best things I've been a part of is to watch the transition to next generation leadership to oversee that here at Seacoast. I just, I mean, I listen to the teachers, the next gen guys, and they're just awesome. A couple, three weeks ago, there was a worship thing where we had like four or five worship people that gave five minute messages. Remember that? That, that was a lot of fun if you were here. And I looked up on the stage and I said, that one was a teenager in this church. That one grew up in this church. That, and on and on, and just to see them lifted up, that's been a joy to me. But that's not the best thing. Um, in the last five years, I've been able to oversee and see 500 brand new life-giving churches planted in the last five years. That's amazing. Let me give you some of the statistics on that. It's just, it blows my mind. The average church plant that we do has 300 people the first week. I'm just gonna talk to you about the first week. So that means in the last five years, 150,000 people in brand new churches the very first week. Average of five people, we, we keep statistics on all of this stuff. Average of five people commit their life to Christ for the very first time. So that means 2,500 people on the first week in the last five years committed their life to Christ. And they're growing and it's incredible. That's mind-blowing to me. But it's not the biggest thing. The Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> That's right. That's a once-in-a-lifetime experience because it only happens every 108 years. Amazing. I did an all-nighter on that, two all-nighters. I was teaching in Europe, and I was teaching all day during the daytime and had to stay up all night because the game started at midnight, and that was awesome. That's not it. Let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you what it is. Best things I've been involved in in the last five years is gently restoring some people who are caught in sin. And this will surprise you. I'm just being gut level honest. You say, well, you're matching it with the message. No, I am telling you, this has been the best thing I've been involved with. People who are caught in sin, who are cast kind of into the kind of spare parts pile and they'll never really be able to do what God created them to do and then to, to, to be a part of gently restoring them and seeing God do great things in their lives. Some of them are very high profile. If I mention their names, you might know who they are. Some of them are known to very, very few. Darren Patrick's one of them. You know, the teacher that's part of our team now and uh, together with the elders in his church in St. Louis, myself and 
A couple, three other guys were able to, over the last year, see him restored to, I think, the best years of ministry of his life. There was one guy, was very, very high profile guy, blew up. And a lot of us that kind of knew him close and knew him from a distance, we knew it was just a matter of time. I mean, I don't talk about it a lot, but there's some guys out there that I go, mm, there's a train wreck waiting to happen. You know, I hate to see it. They get all, you know, whatever. It's just, it's sad. And people, you know, follow. And I think sometimes we follow Christian leaders like NASCAR. You know, who's ever the weirdest, craziest, and wrecks, we're waiting to kind of follow that and see it. And as a Christian leader, it just, it just, it's just awful. It's so painful. You can see it coming. This guy, we, we saw it coming, a matter of time. And when he crashed, he hurt a lot of people. And I was actually pleased when justice came. I remember that. I remember talking to somebody else about it. I said, this is a good thing, because this guy's a model for a lot of young pastors, and he's a bad model. And we don't need that model. I hate it for him, but it's a really, really good thing. Now, somewhere in that process, I heard the Spirit of the Lord whisper to me and say, I want you to reach out to him because he needs a friend. <laughs> like, I don't want his name associated with mine. He's made such a mess. So I kind of put it off, but he just kept coming on, coming on, coming on. So finally, I figured out how to get a hold of him. I texted him. We texted back and forth for a while, and then we met face-to-face -face, uh, for uh, just him and I for about a three-hour lunch, and then I flew out to where he was and spent some time with him and all this kind of stuff. And during the, the process, uh, early on in the process, I texted him and I, I said, you know, someday I'm gonna tell you why I believe God has called me into your life. He texted me back, because you need more drama? <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. Well, it was very clear, because God wanted me to be a Barnabas in his life. What's a Barnabas? Is that what sticks to the bottom of your boat? No, that's a barnacle. A Barnabas, Barnabas was a guy who, when Paul the apostle, who wrote this letter to the Galatians, you remember what Paul was? Paul was Saul. He was a bad dude. He persecuted the church. Stephen in the New Testament, uh, he killed him. Uh, he, he was a bad guy, and he gets at a low point, comes to Christ, and nobody believes him. You wouldn't believe him. Be like a terrorist that, came to Jesus, prove it. You know, I, we're not gonna invite you into our church. Nobody would. And so this guy named Barnabas, who was well-respected in the church, came, put his arm around him, said, I know he has no reputation, but I'm gonna lend him mine. This is Paul, the apostle. A little bit later, Paul then becomes, becomes this great evangelist. He has an evangelistic team of him, Barnabas, and a guy named John Mark, young guy. John Mark blows it, big time. Blows it. Paul, who's this type A guy, says, I don't need him on my team. No way, no way, no way. And Barnabas comes over to John Mark and he puts his arm around him and he says, I'm gonna stand with you. I'm gonna loan you my uh, credibility even when you don't have, give, give you a hand up. Later, they're all reunited and make peace and it's, it's awesome. But what, what I felt like is, is I felt like that this guy needed a friend. He needed somebody in his life who... Um, not, not approving of who he was and what he was doing, because he wasn't repentant at all. The point that I felt like God spoke to me to do that. And in fact, there were people in the blog world who kind of took shots at me for even being associated with this guy, knowing how many people he had hurt. But it wasn't about right or wrong. It was about God saying, this guy needs somebody to give him a hand up, because when you're down there, you can't climb your way out. 
and you trust me with the repentance process, and it's gonna be okay. And I won't say that I'm the biggest influence in the guy's life or the only influence, I wasn't. But I was there not to short circuit the process, but to make sure that he had the courage to get through the process. So let me ask you this. Who can you give a hand up this Christmas? Who is caught in sin? Who has, who has done something? Maybe it's sexual immorality, like we're seeing all over in the papers that's finally being shouted from the rooftops. You know, the Bible talks about that a little bit. Be sure your sin will find you out. You don't get away with it. It's just a matter of time. And may, maybe you know somebody like that, or maybe it's somebody close to you, or maybe it's somebody that's fouled up financially. Maybe it's through greed. Maybe it's illegal, whatever it happens to be. They're down, they're sin. Could be any of a number of things. And you could, you could reach in and this Christmas you could res restore them and not worry about your own reputation and you're not short-circuiting the, the process. You're just seeing, saying they need a friend. You know, Matt Lauer needs a friend right now. I don't know if he has one, but he needs one. All those guys need a friend. So one side in your mind, you go, this is a good thing. Other side in your mind, you go, you know what, I'm gonna help to re restore. That's a mature person like a, South Carolina guy who can be a Clemson fan. It's same, same thing, same thing, same thing. So who do you know? Caught in sin. You know, as I was reading this verse, it's not just caught in their own sin. It just says caught in sin. There are some people that are caught in somebody else's sin. They're caught in somebody's anger. They're caught in somebody's sin. It can be a whole nation of people. I know I, I remember taking a cruise around Cuba and Haiti and the Dominican Republic it's called a Western Caribbean or Eastern, I don't know what it is, but you just cruise around those islands. And I remember seeing those islands for the first time and all the natural resources and how beautiful they were, and yet knowing that the people there were economically totally different than me. Not because of their own doings, they just happened to be born there. I happened to be born in America. And there was national sin. Maybe there was greed in leadership or corruption in leadership, and so they're living under that. And that's one of the reasons why in our missions program, it's holistic, it's holistic. I mean, we try to do clean water and, 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 and health and education and uh, uh, microfinancing and preach the gospel because the gospel changes communities. When righteousness is lifted up, it does what? It exalts a community. It exalts a nation. So we try to do all of that. But you know what? You don't have to go somewhere else. You can be right in your own neighborhood. And there are people right in your own neighborhood who are trapped and caught in somebody else's sin, somebody's anger, somebody's greed, even our nation's sin. Our forefathers sinned in horrible ways, good people in some regards. But there's been things done in America that causes other people not to have the same starting line as you do. And, uh, and maybe God is saying, help to restore. What does that look like? I don't know. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's listening. I'm doing a lot of listening these days. Maybe it's listening. Maybe it's action. Maybe it's doing what some of People in our congregation do. I'm so proud of you. It's probably one of the best things that we do is mentoring other, other people's kids when you recognize that, hey, this guy's kids don't have the same opportunity as mine do or had, and so I'm gonna do everything I can to be the voice of more in their lives, to give them a head start, to give them a way out.
And so maybe this Christmas, I'm open right now, even as I'm speaking, God may be pricking your heart with somebody who's caught either in their own sin or somebody else's sin. And you say, you know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna restore them gently. I'm gonna give them a hands up. Maybe it's just quality time. Maybe it's just listening. I don't know what it is, God. I don't know what to do, but here am I. Send me, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing that we can do is this Christmas, I'm gonna work on keeping my head down. Hand up, head down. What do I mean by that? Galatians 6, verses three through five says, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point. <laughs> they're self-deceived. A bad personal kind of, no idea of what the thing really is. He says, uh, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without doing what? Can we say the word comparing? Should be a swear word, but I'm gonna let you say it in church. Comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. Here's a great Einstein quote. Everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. I don't know if Albert Einstein said that or not, but it was on the internet, so I thought it was pretty good. I'm not sure everybody's a genius, but I'm pretty sure if everybody would keep their head down in their own lane without comparing themselves to one another, that life would be better for them. Would you agree? Life would be better for you and me. Comparison is a life-sucking, soul-crushing Christmas killer from hell. <laughs> Did you get that? Let me say it again. Comparison is a life-sucking, soul-crushing Christmas killer from hell. Tweet that. Would you tweet that? Get a picture. <laughs> and then tweet that. It is also currently our national pastime. You thought it was football or baseball. No, it's Facebook. Comparison? Have you ever had your day ruined by somebody else's Facebook post? Raise your hand real quick. Bunch of liars. You have too. <laughs> I have, and I'm holier than any of you. <laughs> You're sitting there having an average day. Average day. You open Facebook. They look great, and you don't. Their life is amazing, and yours isn't. They have a jillion likes. And you're pretty sure nobody cares about your pathetic, boring life. <laughs> Ruined your day. So I remember when Facebook first came out. I was so excited. This is great. I want friends. Okay, let me let, me let you compare just a minute. You know the average Facebook user in America, you know how many friends they have? You're gonna love this because what you're gonna do is you're gonna go, oh, I'm a loser or I'm better than that. Because that's what we do. We benchmark on, all of us want to benchmark. We want to know where we are. And we benchmark on other people, right? Average is 388. So you're going, mm, I got 450. Ah, I'm awesome. Or I got 100. Well, half, half of the people, 50%, have 200 or less. Half have 200 or more. Average 388. 
I was a rock star. <laughs> thousands of friends. That's what everybody wants. Thousands of friends. I got destroyed by the newsfeed. I couldn't handle it. Newsfeed. You know, out of the blue, the most negative person in the world could ding me with something. Or all these comparison, this comparison nonstop. I had a lot of pastors as my friends. Some of them, oh my goodness. You know, it's like, it's like, this one guy. They had the most amazing weekend ever, every week. I don't. I'm a pretty positive person. But when I go home, like I'm preaching four times this weekend. Here, you say, why don't you preach more? Hey, you try this <laughs> at my age. So, so I'm preaching four times this weekend. You should not adrenalize. Your body, if some of you are medical people, you know that your body is not made to adrenalize and then adrenalize some more and then adrenalize some more and then adrenalize. Because what happens if you do that over and over and over and nonstop, you burn out your adrenaline stuff and it gets crazy. And I know a lot of pastors that are having crazy physical problems because of that. So on a Sunday afternoon, what do I do on a Sunday afternoon? Pastor, do you go home and read your word? No! I just want to watch a violent movie. That's all I want to do. It's like, you know, it's just, how do I get off this? How do I get off this? So I'm home with this whole deal going on. Hey, let's open Facebook. I had the most amazing weekend ever again. And I'm like, I didn't. I didn't feel like I preached all that well. I had, you know, two cards talking about how loud the music was, one about how ridiculous my outfit was, and three about what's up with Walter's head. I don't know. It's none of your business. People actually put that on cards. If you had a nice round head like that, you wouldn't put hair on it either. How do you compete with that? Or somebody I recognized used to go to church here, would post that they found a new church where the pastor is super loving, works out every day at the gym, looks amazing, and actually preaches the word of God every week. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I decided I didn't need these random intrusions on my self-esteem. So I dumped all my friends, all of them. Some of you were a part of that. Dumped them. Got a public page that doesn't have a news feed. So now all I do is post pictures of my grandkids and my pithy wisdom. It's called guardrails. You don't have to do that, but you need to do something. You need to recognize that comparison is a killer. There's a whole lot of things on your, I don't have time. This has been so much fun, we're going too slow. Robs us of our identity and value, fosters insecurity and hopelessness. What else does it do? Blocks satisfaction and contentment. There's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, really, let me give you one good thing there. Uh, if you're fixated on what you lack, you can't be grateful for what you have. 
If you're all the time looking at, and what you're doing is you're comparing your normal mundane life to everybody else's highlight reels. It just doesn't work. Suppresses joy and happiness. So what do you do? What do you do? Here's what the, here's what the writer of Galatians says. He says, go ahead and compare. But compare to yourself. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. Only person you compare yourself to is you yesterday and you tomorrow and who Jesus wants you to be. That's all. If you're doing anything else, you're crushing what God has for you. See, uh, oh, here we go. Decide I'm gonna be a first-rate version of who God created me to be, not a second-rate version of somebody else. How many of you would agree with that? Will you commit to that this Christmas? Okay, commit to that, good. All right, so this Christmas, follow Paul's advice. Give a hand up, help carry a burden. Keep your head down. Refuse to get sucked into the, the social media barrage of self-defeating comparison. And then number three, and this is it, is this Christmas I'm gonna remember to keep my heart open. An open heart is a generous heart. Take a look at the next verse, verse six. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share. Say, should share. Say that together. Should share. What? All good things. Not your junk. All good things with their instructor. That's about paying a pastor. I want to talk about that. We're doing fine. But what the deal is, is this. The deal is, is that, is that Paul is saying, we need to learn how to share. What is the, what is the first word your child learns? No's good, but it's not the right answer. Mine. Mine. So what do you do? Your whole goal as a parent is to kill mine and learn share, right? Learn share. We do all kinds of things. That's the whole goal of maturity is it's not mine. It's all God's. It's not mine. And I'm going to share. Generosity. Share. Now, there are a lot of benefits to sharing, generosity. In fact, Proverbs 11 and verse 25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Here's what's interesting, is the altruistic form of sharing is to share without expecting anything in return, right? But the world is made, God created the world to be, um, so, so that there, there's, there's principles that when you are generous, the generosity comes back at you. When you're generous with people, when you're generous with the poor, when you're generous with God, generosity comes back at you. Galatians 6 and 6 says it this way. It says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This whole principle of you sow something, it's like a garden, you plant something, you're gonna reap what you plant. He goes on and he says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. That's what's happening on a national level right now with people getting caught in sin. They sowed to please their flesh, and from that flesh, you're ultimately gonna reap destruction, even if it's not right away. Then he says, whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap what? Eternal life. Jesus talks about the same thing. Jesus, Jesus says that, that, uh, that we need to be rich toward God, that uh, don't lay up for yourself, he says, riches, that the moths will destroy, rust destroys, whatever. He says, he says, invest in things that will outlast you 
that have eternal reward. You know, that great Christmas present that you bought your child last year is probably 15 pieces of unrelated plastic right now. Would you agree? Moth destroyed it. I'm not saying don't buy that for your kids, but I'm saying think about what will last. Think about what will, what will last. Think about what will last. And so be generous. There's a lot of benefits of generosity. We need to be generous to our family. We need to be generous to the poor. And we need to be rich toward God. In fact, anytime I read Jesus' teaching, I always think about the, the saying that you, you can't, you, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul, right? Because you can't take it with you. But what you can do is send it ahead of you by investing in eternity, all right? So be generous. Now, let me, as I close, let me just give you an update and uh, a challenge, okay? So let me, let me talk, just to shift gears for just a minute. Let me talk about what's going on here at, at Long Point Road. If you came in, traffic's a mess. Uh, there's a building process going on. It's exciting. People are asking me all the time, where are we at? What's going on? And uh, foundations have been poured. Uh, Monday, I think they, they pour the platform, which I'm so excited about. Uh, you'll be randomly driving by and see me standing out there taking selfies. You know, just this is out. I, I just can't, can't wait to be on there. But they're, they're doing all of that. And, uh, and, and what we did is uh, we, we challenged our church uh, two years ago that we're gonna, build, we're gonna build something for the next generation. We're gonna build something that, especially in the campuses, and you guys have been so generous, it's unbelievable. We're gonna build something that you might not walk through the doors maybe once a year. Some of us, maybe you're at an advanced uh, age that this is gonna be something that you'll have very little use of or maybe even no use of. Some of you online given to something that you probably maybe even won't, won't, won't go to. But you're investing in the future. You're investing in eternity. You're investing in the next generation. We set a big goal because we said this. We don't wanna indebt the next generation up to their ears, right? And so we're just gonna be generous. We're gonna be kind of like David with Solomon. We're gonna provide the resources for for the, the next gen and um, challenge you to give $12 million. I thought that is ridiculous. Well, you guys have given $9 million, over $9 million, uh, three quarters of the way through. We've got $3 million left to go, one year in the project. But by the end of the year, we need a million dollars to keep on track with, with where we're going. And so this weekend, I wanna challenge you to be generous. So think about that in your Christmas giving. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, well, that's easy. If everybody at Seacoast would just give $75, every man, woman, and child, then the need will be met. That's true. It's absolutely true. But here, here's what I know, two things. Number one, we don't tell you what to give. All we do is ask you to pray because God will tell you. That's great. Not everybody will give that much. Not everybody can give that much. And some people will give a lot more than that. And I, we, we need you. If God has blessed you, we need everybody to pray and be generous. And if God has blessed you in significant ways, we need your help. That's just all I know how to say it. So we can keep going and, uh, and, and complete this to the glory of God uh, in the next year. And so that, there was a group in our church that has an animation studio called Moondog. And they said, can we make a video update for you? I said, yeah, let's do that. This is cool. Take a look at this. Buildings come and go. Seacoast has never been about buildings. We're all about building stories, your stories. Because whether we've been in a school or a movie theater, the stories are always there, just waiting to be told. So when we imagine, we don't just see a building, 
we see stories unfolding, hands raised in worship and communities changed wherever we are. We see lives reclaimed, marriages healed, children and parents brought close to one another, a new generation rising up. We see these stories everywhere we go, from the mountains of Asheville to the villages of Togo, from serving Thanksgiving dinners at the Dream Center to reaching thousands of students at Custom Summer Camp. Our new worship center will be a brand new chapter in our own story. And when you give to Imagine, you're helping to write the first lines of that exciting new chapter. When we look around us, we see a thousand stories waiting to be told. There are even more just waiting to be written. We can't wait to see your story unfold in the new home that we're building together. Isn't that cool? I like that. I like that. So if you want to help and include the church in your Christmas giving, above your tithes, tithes is what pays the staff, pays to plant churches, does all the things that we're doing in the communities regularly. Um, if you want to give above that, uh, just you can, uh, th th on the screen you can see seacoast.org front slash imagine. Uh, you can uh, text to give, just put imagine in there and how much you text it to there. You can do it uh, analog wise just through the offering boxes just on the envelope, right, imagine. But just ask you to pray and how can we, how can we do that together? Let me, let me give you the last verse of this whole thing. It says this. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Good is a hand up. Good to yourself is a head down focus. Good to others is a heart full of generosity, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I don't know where you are. I don't know how it applied to you, but I believe that God's spoken to all of us this week. I wanna pray for you. And then we're going to have a time of response. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. You are good. You're so good. And God, now we just open our hearts to you. I ask that we would do more than just hear the word, that we would respond to your word. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.